0: You want to make a confession this morning? Uh, I'm going to give you a specific topic. Have you ever been guilty of doing this and run into something while you were paying more attention to this than you were what you were doing or where you were going? Maybe not you. You got a friend who's done that before? Have you ever been, hopefully, not running into something while you're driving on your cell phone? Not, how many people drive and text? By now, you should know not to do that. Uh, invariably, I'm following somebody who's driving very badly, and they think they're driving awesomely. And then when I finally pass them, they're on their phone or whatever. It's like, you're driving horribly. You shouldn't be doing that. There's a term for people who do this now. I don't know if you know this or not. They're called smartphone zombies, which is very appropriate. People are just completely oblivious to their surroundings. A lot of people really are getting seriously hurt doing this. Honolulu, Hawaii is the first city in the United States that's passed an ordinance that prohibits, explicitly prohibits, doing this while you're crossing the street because they've had too many people getting hurt doing that very thing on their phone not paying attention getting hurt and it's called distracted walking there's a city in Austria Salzburg that's actually done something even greater than this they've they realized as they studied their traffic incidents that more people are getting hurt as pedestrians than cyclists or p- uh, moped drivers or even people who are driving in cars They got tired of people walking into traffic and ending up in the hospital or the morgue. So what they did is, I think we might have a picture here. Yeah, they put up uh, these airbags on different light posts. No joke. And if you don't speak German, what that says is, will the next car be so well padded? Which is a great idea. Like, people walking into stuff. And they're trying to get people's attention, number one, because people really do walk into light poles. And number two, they're just trying to say, hey... Let's pay attention. Let's be aware of our surroundings. It's kind of clever, kind of catchy. This is kind of like what we do, right? We just kind of mindlessly move through life. We kind of mindlessly move through the motions on our phones. I watched a video of a guy. Maybe you've seen this too. He would take advantage of people who were distracted because they were on their mobile phone. They were at the mall. He had a secret camera set up. What he would do is he'd find somebody who was walking along like this and he would get alongside them and then he would walk in front of them and he would start doing things and they weren't paying attention. So whatever he did, they would imitate like he would pretend like it was a sign and he would duck and the person, nothing there. The person on the phone would then duck and everybody else around was like, what are you doing? He would get in front of other people as they're walking toward the escalator doing this and he would get in front of them and he would start walking down the up escalator and they would jump off and just stand back and person after person after person like, whoa, what just happened there? This is kind of, I thought as I watched things like this, and read about this, this it's a great metaphor for how people go through life, not just with the cell phone, but just in life in general, doing the same things over and over and over again, not really thinking about why am I doing what I'm doing? Many times if we did stop and say, why am I doing what I'm doing? It would come down to, I'm just kind of imitating the people around me. I'm just mindlessly doing things. I'm following a routine that maybe my parents did things this way, so I just do it, whether I even liked it or not. We just default to that. We default to what our peer group is doing. I used to tell kids when I was in student ministry, don't do what your friends do. They're idiots. They don't know any more than you do. Why would you take your cue from the people around you who are also your age? What you need to do is find somebody who's older than you that has scars, literal or figurative, Ask them how they got the scars, and don't do that. <laughs> it's like that's, you need to figure out, why am I just drifting through life, whether it's in your finances, or in your parenting, or in your marriage relationship, or other relationships, or any, like, how do I run my business, my ethics, all of that. Why would you take your cue from people around you if they're not doing any better in life than you are? And that's a question to kind of think about. Uh, I don't know if you were in your life group this week, your connect group, but if you were, you may have studied this verse. This is out of Ephesians in the New Testament, Uh, it's a great verse, starting in verse 15. It says, be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly. Understand what the Lord wants you to do. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but if you were to take your Bible, and the whole part of what we call the New Testament, Matthew to Revelation, that New Testament was originally written in Greek. It wasn't written in English, so we have to translate it into English. When it, and it says there, so be careful how you live. The Greek word live there is literally, be careful how you walk. Be careful how you walk, in, which we get it. In English, you just go, okay, that means walk, live. It's, it's how you're conducting yourself through life. Be careful. remember the first time I went to my friend Mike's house, got out of the car, started through the front yard. I was about a third of the way to his front porch when he walked out, and he said, be careful of the landmines, and I froze. See, here's what you have to know. If you knew Mike, well, let's just put it this way. If you asked anybody who in St. Charles County would be most likely to have, honest to God, real landmines in their yard, everyone would say, Mike. So I, he says, be careful of the landmines. I froze, a shot of adrenaline surged through my body. So I'm thinking, I'm 95% certain I'm standing in the honest-to-God minefield right now. <laughs> and I think he saw the look of panic come across my face because he goes, the dogs? And then I got a surge of panic in a different direction because I remembered Mike had two enormous pony-sized dogs, like Great Danes. Apparently, I was walking through their toilet through the front yard. So when he said, be careful, you know, watch out for landmines, I went, oh, Okay, I haven't hit any yet, and I believe me, I was careful how I walked from that point to the porch, and then I went around on the driveway the next time. And That's the idea in these verses. Be careful how you walk, because these days are evil. The people around you, they're just going with the flow, they're acting very foolishly, and if you just do what everybody else in the culture around you is doing, you're going to end up doing a whole lot of foolish things, because a whole lot of people around you as they live their life don't really care what God's will is for their life. And so you don't want to follow them. You want to be careful how you walk or how you live. And I, I, I know for myself, just to be completely honest, there have been times in my life where I've just mindlessly followed what other people around me and my peers were doing or what I just kind of picked up here and there. And it led to some things that I wish that weren't part of my life. Maybe you can say the same thing. That's what we're doing in this series, Wisdom. We're asking the question, how can I make better choices from here forward so that I don't have things in my rearview mirror that I regret, that I can be mindful about how I live my life? So we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 2 today. If you've got a, a Bible, you can turn there. If you've got a smartphone app, you can pull that up. And here's an encouragement I would have for you. If you came in here and you don't have a Bible and you don't have the Bible app on your phone, there are Bibles sitting at the back. You are welcome to grab one. You can leave it on your way out Welcome to take it with you. You can write in that thing. It's okay. So that's like a gift to us from us to you. We just want you to be in the Bible. So we're in Proverbs 2. Let's go ahead and read this together. It'll be up on the screen if you don't have either of those things available to you. Listen to this. My child, listen to what I say. Treasure my commands. Tune your ears to wisdom. Concentrate on understanding. Cry out for insight. Ask for understanding. Search for them like you would search for silver. Seek them out like hidden treasure. Then you'll understand what it means to fear the Lord. You'll gain a knowledge of God. For the Lord grants wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He grants a treasure of common sense to the honest. He's a shield to those who walk with integrity. He guards the path of the just. He even protects those who are faithful to him. Now, the man who wrote these words is King Solomon. Arguably the smartest, wisest man who ever walked this planet until Jesus got here, and then he took the title, and nobody's ever been that wise ever since. But Solomon, wisest guy who ever lived, and what we have here in Proverbs in your Bible are a collection of his wise sayings and teachings. And they're all assembled together there along with some other Proverbs, and it's, it's as if Solomon has literally collected his wisdom and said to his children and his grandchildren and even to us, he's like pleading with us, I've got some wisdom This is a very valuable thing, and you need this in your life if you're going to live a good life. So here, do everything you can. Tune your ear to it and seek it out like it's a treasure. And just do everything you can to gather this and bring it into your life and learn it and download it because you need this. I need this. We all need wisdom. Now, if you were not here last week, we unpacked what wisdom actually means. If you were, maybe you just want a refresher. That's okay. So just like the New Testament of the Bible was written in Greek originally, the Old Testament of the Bible was written in Hebrew. We have to translate it, and translate that into English so we can understand it. The word wisdom in Hebrew is literally the word skill. You think about the skill it takes to you know, build something with carpentry skills. That's a skill that you can learn and acquire. Uh, computer programming skills. If you, maybe you're a skilled negotiator and you're able to get your side across or to convincingly teach someone, those are skills, Right? Wisdom is a skill, and here's what wisdom is the skill of. It's the skill of making good decisions that lead to a good life. And since it is a skill, this is something you can learn. You can get better at it with practice, and you should. So this is what we're doing. We're trying to take all of these ideas. It's like when Solomon wrote these words in chapter 2, and he's, it's like he's layering words, like understanding, knowledge, common sense. He's trying to create a picture of what a good life looks like. And it starts with this skill Of making wise choices and I know for me and I know this for you too we need wisdom at every stage of our life there will never be a time when you outgrow the need for wisdom in your life it's just not going to happen I can look back in my life and I can see there were a lot of choices that Brian in my teens and 20s made that were I was a very foolish young man in some ways I'm pretty sure looking around I'm in good company Right? don't judge (laughs) But, I mean, like, when I first got married, I had a lot of things to learn. I had a lot of wisdom to download, and my wife was happy to teach me. Um, And I'm, I'm being completely serious. I did, like, for example, I figured out real quick that I didn't know how to do laundry. Apparently, don't know if you know this or not, there are some things that should not be washed together. You don't put red things and white things together unless you want a whole bunch of pink things. That actually happened in our house. Apparently, there's a rule that says not everything needs to be dried on high heat. Anybody else learn that rule too? My thinking is, but if you dry it on high heat, it gets dry faster, saves money. See where I'm going here? You shrink one expensive sweater and you are banned for life from doing the laundry. Which, guys, come on, help me out here. Isn't that kind of wise? For the price of one expensive sweater, I haven't had to do laundry for 25 years, so a little wisdom there I think there's so I I think there's some wisdom that all of us need to acquire my younger self needed wisdom myself right now and you know in this decade of my life I need wisdom when I'm in the third and fourth quarter of my life I'm still going to need wisdom so are you everything seems different when you reach a new stage of life some of you can you've been alive long enough you know what I'm talking about there's new challenges, and the same challenges look different when you're a parent as they did when you were just a kid on your own. And, and then when you're looking at, I'm, I'm going towards my grandkids now, and I'm trying thinking about my legacy that I leave, and, and at every stage of life, there's a way you can blow it. <laughs> really, I'm serious. And we need wisdom to make those choices, so we look back and go, I'm really happy how I'm going with my life. No, no matter what age you are, you need wisdom, so we need to seek it out and find it. And I'm talking to you as a guy who needs this myself. I don't know why God asked me to be your pastor, but he did. So we're all just together. We're going to try to do the best we can to learn this and figure out what wise living looks like. So how do you get wisdom? Glad you asked. Let's figure this out. One thing that I've noticed just from listening to Solomon is wisdom starts with a healthy fear of the Lord. You can even write that down if you want to. That's what wisdom is. It starts with a fear of the Lord. The verse that we read last week, Proverbs 1-7 says, "...the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge." but fools despise wisdom and instruction. If you were even to go further ahead into Proverbs chapter 9 verse 10, it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the holy one it's understanding. So my question would be then, well what does it mean to fear the Lord? I'm talking Hebrew again here. So which one because fear can be terror, dread. Oh my gosh. But fear can also be awe, respect. Right? So there's there's a little bit of a dis- difference here. When I'm talking about fear of the Lord, does God want us to be terrified of him or does he want us to be in awe of him and respect him? I guess my question would be, are you insisting on living your life foolishly or wisely? Because the answer to that would determine which one you're going to feel towards God. If you've insisted on doing everything contrary to God, maybe it's appropriate to be in terror of God. I don't know. Do you love your parents Good answer. Let me let me give you all a second chance here. Everyone in the room, the right answer is yes. Do you love your parents? Yeah, yeah. Was there ever a time that you were a little bit scared of your parents? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> right. Was your mom maybe or your dad or your mom saying, "Wait till your father gets home"? Right. Yeah. All of the above. Right. There's a little. Bit, growing up, I had a friend named Robbie. We would hang out a lot. Really liked hanging out with him. Even as a younger kid, he was a chunk. And I mean, like, muscular chunk. His neck was, like, this big around. He was muscular. And so one day, I'm over at Robbie's house. I like going to his house because his mom was the sweetest thing. She was as tiny as Robbie was big. And she was just so sweet and kind all the time. One day, I'm at his house. We're playing pitcher and catcher. You know, like, you, you take turns. I'm the pitcher, and we'll see how fast I can throw. I'm going to see if I can make your hand hurt. And then we switch, and we're... And um, if you've ever done anything, all of you can probably relate to this. You get in a flow, and you're just having an amazing time, and you don't want to stop for lunch or anything else. And we were there. I'm just having this great time. Robbie's a sweet little mom, comes out on the porch, says, Robbie, I need you to come in the house. And he's like, Mom, I don't want to come in. And she's sweet. And she's like, No, you need to come in the house. And he, No. And then she goes in, and a minute later, Robbie still doesn't come back. out. Robbie, you need to come in the house. Still just... No. She comes out the third time, and she said, Robbie, really, I need you. And he got flippant. He was a little disrespectful. He said, I'm not coming in. We're busy. We're playing. Can't you see that? And then I saw two things that I had never seen before. His mom turned terrifying. I've never, she used his full name and yelled it. And, and I saw the second thing I'd never seen before. I saw Robbie terrified. <laughs> He got so scared. I've, he said, I got to go. <laughs> I've never seen him move so fast into that house, that tiny lady, but he was scared. You know, and that's, I think there's a sense where it's okay to be, have this healthy awe of God, but when you're doing stupid things that you know you shouldn't, maybe there should be a little bit of terror. you ever parents ever say to you, I brought you into this world and I can, I right? Jesus was talking to his closest friends and he was sending them on a mission trip and he said, look, there's going to be some people who hate you because they hate me. Don't worry about it. They may even threaten to kill you. Don't worry about that. You shouldn't be scared of people who can kill you. That's all you can do. You can't kill my soul. But then listen to what Jesus said. They can't touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. God created us, he brought us into the world, and he really literally can take us back out. And so it's it's appropriate to fear God in the sense you realize God is all-powerful, and God created me, and God knows what is best. And when I intentionally do something against that God, I am putting myself into dangerous territory little fear is healthy when it keeps you from doing something dumb. That's why it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the starting point. You recognize all wisdom resides in God, and I should have an appropriate respect and awe for him and what he says. And if he says, don't do that, I've got to believe there's a good reason, and I've got to believe there's going to be some consequences if I do that. So there's, that, there's the beginning. So here's a question that I have for you, and you need to think about this. If you are 8, 18, 88, Whose voice do you care about most? Whose voice do you listen to? Who gets to influence you? And I know there's an obvious answer here, but I've got a way for you to bypass that and find out what the real answer is. What do you really actually do when you know the right thing to do? That tells you who you're really listening to. I I say I trust God. I say I believe God. I want to honor God. I come to church but do you do what you know you should with what God's shown you? That tells you who you're really listening to, who influences you first and most. I'll give you an analogy. There's one thing that sports fans all around the world can count on, and that is that when you're playing at home, you have the home field advantage. It doesn't matter whether you're playing baseball, basketball, soccer, Jiu-jitsu, name a sport, home field advantage is a real thing. It's scientifically verified that teams do better, athletes do better at home. question is, why is that? Sports Illustrated had a great article about this a few years ago. And there's a lot of scientific research about why do home teams win more often? And the obvious answers to that, I don't know what you would think. I would think, well, for one thing, you've got the crowd cheering for you, so that's got to pump you up. That's got to be good. Or maybe the opposing team doesn't like being booed. Or, or maybe it's just that they didn't, the home team didn't have to drive to get here so they're not as tired, or maybe they know the field better. There's all those things that I would think what they figured out is none of them have any bearing on how the players play. I was surprised to find that out, but it's true. The free throw percentages in basketball, the pitching speed, really you can't find much of a difference statistically on how a player plays at home or away. So you go, well, why do they win? Well, the players aren't influenced by the crowd, but do you know who is? Referees. Sorry, Kyle. (laughs) Research has shown that officiating often tips the game to the home field advantage. And I'm not saying that referees do that intentionally, but they are human beings. Nobody likes to get booed. And subtly, it can influence a referee to have the crowd yelling at you or cheering you based on what you decide. Again, I ask, who do you really care about cheering you on? whose voice are you really listening to when you say, I want to live a good life? Are you taking your cue from the culture around you and the people around you? And do you want your friend's approval or do you want God's approval? Here's something else I want you to think about. If you're seeking wisdom and you want to live a good life with good choices, God is willing to give you wisdom if you ask for it. I know that sounds like way too simple, but that's the honest truth. For example, the verse we read today, Proverbs 2:6 says, "The Lord grants wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding." And then you go over to the New Testament of the Bible towards the end, over in James chapter one, verse five, James is the half-brother of Jesus, and he wrote these words, "If you need wisdom, ask our generous God. He'll give it to you. He will not even rebuke you for asking. It's OK. If you don't feel like you're a very wise person, you don't know what to do in a given situation, which is where I find myself a lot, honestly. Just ask God. I don't know what to do with this. Can you help me out? Can you help me figure? And he does. Because God will not look at you like, now you come to me to ask me what, I should, what you think what I think you should do? Really? He won't do that. Solomon literally became the wisest person in the world by doing this exact thing. So let me tell you how this happened. If you go over to 1 Kings in the Bible, this is in the Old Testament. It's like the official records of the nation of Israel. It's like a history book. 1 Kings chapter 3 talks about how King David's uh, passed away and the, the kingdom passed over to King Solomon. And so in verse 5, it says here at Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream, and God said to Solomon in this dream, Ask me for whatever you want me to give you. You can have it. Then in, in this dream, this vision, Solomon has this conversation with God, and he says, Okay, here's the thing. I know I'm king, but I'm still a kid. I have no idea what I'm doing. How am I going to lead this great people of yours? So here's what I want. This is verse 9. Give me an understanding heart so I can govern your people well and know the difference between right and wrong. For who by himself is able to govern this great people of yours? Which is such a great question and a great answer. Apparently, his dad, David, has taught him well. David had a heart for God, and he's passed this on to his son, Solomon. And it's such a great answer, the Lord thought so too. Verses 10 says this. The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for wisdom, so God replied, okay, because you've asked for wisdom in governing my people with justice and you've not asked for a long life or wealth or death of your enemies, I'm going to give you what you've asked for. I will give you such a wise and understanding heart such as no one else has had or ever will have. And I'll also give you what you didn't ask for, riches and fame. No other king in all the world will ever be compared to you for the rest of your life. Okay, that's awesome for Solomon. How about you? How do you and I get wisdom? Same way. Obviously, if you feel like you would like to increase your wisdom level, you should ask God for it. Don't be afraid to pray a very simple prayer. God, make me wise. God, help me make great choices. God, help me, give him a specific situation that you're having trouble with and ask him for help. It's okay, it's appropriate. Here's another thing. I want to applaud you. Seriously, you guys are here today. There's a lot of wisdom right here and you are making yourself available to it. There's wisdom in the Bible. And don't let the fact that the Bible is ubiquitous, that you can find it everywhere, make you think, well, it's not that valuable. We live in an unprecedented time. You realize in most of history, people didn't have the kind of access to a Bible that you've got. This is a real treat. It's like having chocolate available to you everywhere. Wait, that, that's true too. <laughs> we live in a very blessed time. Don't think this is invaluable just because you can get one anywhere. That's most people in history would love to have the kind of things that you have available to you immediately. And there's wisdom here. God can give you understanding and common sense by learning here. I'll tell you one person who found this to be true. Uh, the Bible will grow you up. Example In the New Testament times, when the churches were starting to get planted in different cities, Paul, who was a Christian leader, started a bunch of churches, wrote a bunch of what we have in the New Testament of the Bible, had a young protege named Timothy. And uh, Timothy was a pastor, a young guy, but he was pastor in a big church. And he had a lot of challenges and responsibilities. And one of the pieces of advice that Paul gave to him was written in a letter. It's actually in your Bible. The letter that Paul wrote to him is copied into your Bible. It's called 2 Timothy. And here's what Paul told him. Timothy, look, you've got to understand this. You've been taught the Holy Scriptures. This is 2 Timothy 3.15. You've been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood. They have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting Christ Jesus this is one of the ways you gain wisdom, is getting engaged in your Bible. I hope that you're doing the Proverbs challenge. If this means nothing to you, let me just tell you a little bit about what it is. So there are 31 chapters in Proverbs. There are 31 days in January. What we've agreed to do together is we'll read a chapter a day. If you're like, I haven't heard about this, that's fine. You can start today, January 14th, right? So just find Proverbs chapter 14, start reading, and just keep going from there and you'll be downloading all this wisdom and you're starting at a great point if you do that because this is there's like these little phrases here and there that you'll just go oh that's good I've never heard that before or maybe I have heard it but I need that today so there you go you can start getting into the word of god and you got to trust that this is actually the wisdom of god that you're reading here because here's the thing and I think you know this this is a little caveat the wise choice isn't always the obvious choice maybe you found this like how many times have you been like there's been some teaching from the Bible or some teaching we brought out here, and you go, I know that's the right way to do it, but none of my friends actually do that, and they seem to be having a pretty good life without doing this. That's what I'm saying. The wise choice isn't always the, the, the obvious choice immediately. And it may even be frustrating to you if you're a person who's trying to honor God with your life and you're trying to follow Jesus because you go, I see this person, and they're just an idiot. They're doing all the wrong things, and they've got an amazing life. Meanwhile, here I am trying to honor God with my life, trying to do the things I should, to say no to the things I shouldn't, and it's really hard. The wise choice isn't always the obvious choice immediately. You might look at somebody and go, they, like, in, they, they're constantly telling me about their creative deductions they do on their taxes, and, and they get all these refunds back, and here I am trying to do my taxes right, and I still get dinged, and I don't even know if I'm doing it right when I do it, but I'm trying. It, it can be very easy to go, maybe I should just start doing what they're doing, because they seem to be doing fine. You might be the only person in the United States, you feel like, who is going, okay, I'm going to honor God with my body. He says to not be sexually involved with anybody until I'm married. I'm going to do that, but I apparently am the only person who's doing that. The wise choice is not always the obvious choice in the moment. Give it time. Just pretend like you're watching a reality show, and it's got another three years to run. <laughs> eventually, you're going to see the wisdom borne out, because here's the thing. Wisdom's outcome isn't always seen immediately, but it's always seen eventually. And you will see the wisdom of following God's ways. Trust me on that. I need to wrap this thing up. A while back, I was reading a testimony of a girl who became a Christian. It's real powerful. I want to read you some of what she said. Her name was Emily Tomes. She said, before God saved me, I was an incredibly selfish person. I mean, I was pretty well liked by most people, but I had a tendency to overstep boundaries, act impulsively. I did what I perceived was best for me. You know anybody like that? Maybe a friend. She said, this led me to sleeping around, smoking marijuana, doing other destructive behaviors. Then slowly but surely, my view of God and myself began to change. She said, I remember feeling terrified and at peace at the same time. Sounds to me like she's experiencing the fear of the Lord. I realized where I had been until that instant, and that scared me. I didn't know what I was going to do or what my life was going to be like, but I knew what I wasn't going to do. I wasn't going to defy God any longer. His will was my new life. And man, I'll tell you what, that is wisdom right there to say, God, whatever it is, I'm saying yes right now before I even know what it is. I'm open to you. I'm humble enough to know I don't know everything anymore and I'm going to do whatever you say. If you're seeking wisdom, hey, you're seeking God. Whether you know it or not, anybody who is seeking wisdom is looking for God. And when you're looking for God, whether you know it or not, you're looking for Jesus. And that intersects with what we're doing here. Here at Connection, we are all about helping people get connected to God and to other people through Jesus. There's a great verse in the Bible that talks about Jesus, and he's not just some guy. Listen to this. This is Colossians 2.3. In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge of God best thing I could advise you to do is to seek out Jesus and to say, whatever it is, I'll do it. Whatever you say, I won't do it. That's the essence of becoming a Christian is to say, I'm going to trust someone else to be the leader of my life. I'm going to trust Jesus. I'm going to follow him. I'm going to submit my life to him. I'm going to be sorry for all the things I've done in my life that were wrong, because that's literally what sin is, is to miss God's expectations and his mark and I'm going to embrace something new. I'm going to find forgiveness from God, and he's going to teach me a new way to live, and you'll see the outcome is going to be so much better.